Hey, I just want to share this great review we got from L. Schubert. I have been craving this kind of conversation, exclamation point. I grew up in a conservative Christian environment and was taught you must wait until marriage to have sex. As a 30-year-old woman who still considers herself a Christian but isn't married and doesn't believe it's a sin, quote-unquote, to have sex before marriage, although I still haven't had intercourse yet, this conversation is important. I've been working on finding the intersection of my sexuality and faith, along with still craving intimacy on all levels while in the dating world, and also wanting to be the healthiest person I can on all accounts. Way to go. These combos have been life-giving to me. Thank you. It's beautiful. Thank you so much for this review. And if you can, leave reviews because it helps our algorithm. (laughs) She's like, what are these words? (laughs) She looked at Luke and said, algorithm. <laughs> you she's can't handle the, it. She's got the brain hands up. Yeah, that's it's it. perfect. That's good. So we're going to cut right there. Okay. Ashley and I were having a conversation across over there when I was writing the vibrators and clitoris one. And what we were. The ease with which those words just <laughs> roll off the tongue. <laughs> It's always jarring for me. And you know what? At some point, I would love to have that conversation with you, okay. just one on one about <laughs> the, the that element. makes one of us. <laughs> From Mill U Media Group, this is Fun Parts, an exploration of sexuality and spirituality for anyone who's curious or convinced there must be more. With your host, Becky Patton. Ashley Lusink, Steve Weens, Luke Bronner, and me, Latifa Alatas. No, but I think that there is something that's really important about your bodily response to this. That is, I think it's really a true thing that many, many people experience. And you guys, I literally in my office, because that's what I talk, I mean, I have models of these body parts for people to be able to see. And so part of it is I have to be very careful and gentle with people because it's not, because what happens is our defenses go up really quick and that can be damaging. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to be damaging to people. Mm. I want to help people to grow. And that's where I just want to say the first episode that we did where you restarted us Mm -hmm. was really good for me. Mm. It was really good for me. I don't feel damaged by those words. Certainly. I think it's the moment that you see in like sitcoms or something when someone's taking a drink and they spit their water out. Yes. That's the feeling. And if any of those moments were drinking, I would be spitting it all over the place. Which you almost did last night. Yes. (laughs) And this morning, I think too. Yeah. So it's one of those things where it's like, I know that I need to get comfortable. I know that I have to find a way there. Mm -hmm. And you would think with the time we've already put in and the time I'm putting into editing and hearing this all the time that it would stop (laughs) being shocking to me. Mm -hmm. It has not. Can I ask you a question? I guess. So when you say, I know I need to get comfortable, could you unpack that for me? Like, do you have shame about not being somewhere that you want to be? Or is it more just like, I know that my body is ready to like move me forward into like a new knowing or a new state of being because the old state is no longer where I want to be? Like, what do you mean by that? I think what I said at the end of season one is that I want to leave repression behind me. Mm -hmm. I know to leave repression behind me, I have to get comfortable talking about these things. Mm. I know that like my discomfort is a symptom of repression. Okay. It's not just what normal should look like for me. 
Mm. Instead of shooting on yourself, yeah. Yeah. I was like, I'm trying, be really I was careful to find, not to shit on yourself. That's why I paused there. I was trying <laughs> yeah. to find a different way to like a, another word for should, but what would you say, Becky? I think what I'm wondering is if your discomfort is a place of invitation for you mm. instead of in the place of condemnation. Like I haven't gotten there. And so it's like it's like I need to get there. And it's like, no, you don't. You need to honor your body's process of helping you to move along this journey. And so I want to say every time you go, wow, that, okay, that makes me feel uncomfortable. It's like you're actually giving your body permission to feel what it actually feels, which going back to our last episode is about that's what embodiment is. Mm. So I want to suggest that instead of shooting on yourself, mm. what if that's a place where you go, oh, I'm actually present to what my body's actually experiencing. And it's the actual truth of what embodiment is versus I have to get somewhere in order to be embodied. I love that. I think the should for me, because I don't want to use that language either, but I think where that's coming from, it's like if I said, I really want to have Alan's pecs <laughs> or Alan's biceps, oh and I have a choice to either do the work that it would mm -hmm. require of me to have mm -hmm. that or not. Mm -hmm. And so the should is just me saying like, if I actually want that, that's the path. Is it more like I desire then is really what you're saying? Like I desire. Alan's pecs. Alan's I know. Pecs. <laughs> no, no, but like I desire to be fit. I desire to be healthy. I desire to be to look free of repression. Like versus I should be. Oh, that's interesting. You see what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I'm I think, just looking I think, for language. I think maybe there's some of both. Mm. I think there is a sense of like, no, I should be free of repression. Repression mm. is not a thing that I have to have in my life. It is not a thing I want to have in my life. And I see it as a symptom of a lack of health, an area in which I am unhealthy. Oh, it's caused you suffering. I have an unhealthy relationship with sex. Yeah. And that pause right there was me trying to find a different word for sex because I don't want to say that word. Well, like okay. that is that is the work. But that's the You're word. You're doing okay. it. You're doing it. That's I mean, what I'm saying. That. You are literally that. doing it. And so I actually wonder if this time we could talk a little bit about the difference between being naked and being nude. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> I wonder if y'all can talk about that too. <laughs> well, because I think we live in such a sex-saturated society mm. that we have become used and almost, I want to say, numb to the physical body in terms of its actual response, its beauty. And instead, what we are, we're exchanging this ideal of what sex should be for whatever it's going to show up as. So an example of that is like in the United States, we are the most sex-saturated culture in the world right now, which I found fascinating in reading some of the studies about that. I'm like, wait, what? Sorry, but what does that mean? We consume the most porn. Okay. We have the highest levels, and this is a hard statistic to actually find because trafficking is so underground and things like that, but the U.S. as one of the main consumers of sex trafficking. And so part of that is the statistic that I read in the world, we spend more money on sex and porn and illicit sex than the combination of all major professional sports combined together. So we spend billions and billions of dollars on sex, and yet we don't have a good language, a good engagement 
for um, how to literally be naked with one another. Mm. But we know what the nude is. I was just saying, isn't part of that statistic too, like, and we actually have less sex than most other countries too? Yes. And we have less mm. sex than on average than other people in the country. So you're other trying- Other countries. Other countries. Yeah. So you're trying to tell me that- Americans see a problem and rather than coming up with a solution, we throw money at it. (laughs) You expect me to believe that? (laughs) I don't know. That whole thing was in air quotes. You didn't do them, but it was. (laughs) (laughs) But it is. So I, um, there is this in the poem in Genesis in the beginning where it says, and the man and the woman were both naked and unashamed. That word naked there is erom. And it means to be open and vulnerable to the power of God and another. Ooh, I love that. But I think that that's one of the things that we struggle with. And there again, I want to say, I think as a culture, when you have, you're so sex saturated, maybe you don't, we don't know what actual nakedness, vulnerability is with another human being until we've actually experienced that. And I want to, you can't be vulnerable without the risk of being hurt. And that's the scary part about nakedness versus you can get nude and you can block off your heart and you can shut down leave things, the body. leave the body, disassociate, and you can actually have a physical sexual act that has no presence of vulnerability whatsoever. And that just makes me sad. But it's also I go, oh, I've done that. Even in my own marriage, I've done that. But I did that before my marriage. I just think there's a difference between being nude and this nakedness of what, when we're talking about sexuality and spirituality going together, it's one of my questions. Like, what does it mean to actually be naked and unashamed? It's like the nakedness of your body is mirroring the nakedness of your soul that you're sharing. And so it's your outward representation of an inward expression with yourself and a partner mm-hmm. versus like being nude and leaving your body is basically taking your soul out of your body and just putting your body in front of someone or yourself. It's And it comes back to presence is what I'm hearing you say. Mm-hmm. And I think too, then it becomes like a one dimensional experience of pleasure if you're nude. And that, cause I think about my own experience of like yeah. having just very physical interactions mm-hmm. that were great experiences but I also wasn't fully present to myself and this other person, you know? And so I think there's to be naked and unashamed, that level of vulnerability just that takes so much more of us and the other person too. Like it's such an interesting conversation to follow up body image. You know, the last episode we talked so much about body image and it's like, so it's hard to imagine words like naked and unashamed for people who have any sort of body image issues yeah. feels impossible. Yeah. It's like, well, how yeah. can I be unashamed? I am ashamed. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. It's a good question. How do you approach that from a place of of shame? I mean, if you <laughs> if you are in a place of shame, it sounds great. Mm-hmm. Just like being in touch with your body or being in touch with your emotions sounds great. Yeah. But if you don't feel capable of that how do you approach it can i tell a story always okay i had a client come to me 
and I'm going to use his description of what happened to him. Okay. He was a young boy, maybe three or four. He had a natural engagement with another friend that I would call childhood curiosity. What happened is a mother walked in on him and basically shame in his words went off like a nuclear bomb. A nuclear bomb of shame went off. And I ran into a bunker and hid. And so I don't think we can actually address that question unless we recognize some of the places where shame is actually blown up in natural ways of engaging with the body. And there's a difference between exploration and abuse. And what happens so often is when we are doing natural curiosity exploration as a child, what happens is so often a parent, I'm not coming down on parents, but I'm saying how we respond to that can explode into a child's psyche before they actually even have language to understand. And so I'm going to go back even just a little bit further, and then I'm going to come back to this guy. One of the things that when we're small children and we have, we begin to notice our genitals and the pleasure that they bring us, when we have an experience that I would say is a natural experience of childhood play, exploring, wondering, what happens is parents who come in and interrupt that a lot of times, what they're seeing is it can oftentimes be triggering something that happened way back for them, or it's triggering the possibility of what this could lead to. So I've had people literally ask me, does this mean my child is a pervert? And I'm like, it means your child is curious. Can we just be curious about why this is and where it's coming from? But what I've noticed in people is those moments where the shame bomb explodes it always creates some place of hiding. And, and the, the problem is until we actually can find that shame kind of nuclear explosion, we keep dealing with behaviors and I'm not, we deal with the behaviors. That's great. But I think there's this element of being able to go, oh, where did shame really get introduced to me? It's yeah. not my shame. I think what happened yeah. in this case, he didn't have language he didn't know, and pleasure got interrupted because it is pleasurable. Let's be honest. It's pleasurable in the genital region. And when that got interrupted, shame got attached to pleasure, and it has impacted the development of how this person gives themselves permission to experience pleasure. Yeah. And that to me is, that's the sad part. And I think that's why I'm saying nakedness is this vulnerable place where are we willing to be vulnerable with another person and with our creator, whatever we use that with as, but with that, we have to be vulnerable with ourselves. And I think that that's one of the ways that how do we, you, the question originally was like, how do we make movement in this? And I'm not sitting here saying we have to go on a gold digging. Mm -hmm. These things reveal themselves when we learn how to be present enough to ourselves and our own triggers. Can I ask a follow-up question to that story? Mm -hmm. How would you define or explain the difference between 
curious exploration between two young children and an experience that feels abusive. Because just from... It's a good question. This isn't coming from my own experience, but just thinking back to stories of people in my own life of young moments mm -hmm. of... Trauma. Yeah. And so things that... I'll leave it there. Yeah. I think that's a really good distinction because one of the things that is important is children know their bodies actually better than we as adults do. Mm. They're very aware of their bodies. We used to laugh that anytime we had naked time before baths, the kids got all squirmy and they just were feeling everything and they just, movements became exaggerated and full and, you know, it took forever to get them in the bathtub, <laughs> but they loved being naked. Mm -hmm. And so part of that is recognizing there is a natural pleasure that kids experience. Mm -hmm. So the fine line is when children, I mean, I only had girls, so I didn't have boys in the house growing up other than just outside. But what I found is they're curious about just simple body parts and there are appropriate ways for them to engage with the opposite sex where it's like, oh, what's that? You know, and I remember when our girls were little and they'd see their daddy and they were like, why can't I pee standing up? You know, and that, I mean, yeah. that's a natural question. Yeah, yeah. I want to try. And I cleaned up so many messes because of that. Yeah. <laughs> but they're well, so they're exploring. I have boys being standing up is a yeah, whole awesome. lot of crazy too. Yeah, also a lot of messes. Yeah, there's also a lot of messes there oh too. Oh my gosh, there I want to burn our bathroom right now. Yeah. <laughs> well, but I'm saying there is exploration of what parts do I have? How does this happen? Where it turns abusive is when you see other and this can be other children acting out things that are inappropriate for the age, like jumping on top of one another and suddenly begin rubbing. Like if two four-year-olds started doing that, I would go, okay, wait, actually, what have they been exposed to? Mm -hmm. Not necessarily is that abuse in that moment. It's like, what have they been exposed to? Mm -hmm. And I've had that happen before where I had somebody contact me about that being a scenario for them. And one of the things I said is as they got curious about it and as they started to explore, they found out one of the parties in that had actually been exposed to their dad's pornography. Mm. So here's a little seven-year-old boy and suddenly he's with out. his friend yeah. and he's starting to act something out that is different than just, you show me yours, I'll show you mine. And so I want to say when curiosity goes beyond what would be just, oh, that really feels good. I can't tell you how many times I've had little kids and I see them with their hands on their pants or they're, you show me yours, you show me mine. Not like I'm that sounds way too, like, that's all I do is see people like that. <laughs> I don't mean that. Yeah. I have to always check and hold my story here mm. and go, can I explore what's going on right here? Mm -hmm. Not transfer and project Projecting, my whole yeah. story onto that. Because what happens in that case, what we're doing is we literally are that prolactin. We are throwing fear out there mm. and it's looking for other fear. Well, what I'm hearing you say is that as an adult – if you walk into or witness an interaction where it could cause a lot of harm mm -hmm. on one or both kids or several kids, however many kids are there, that coming in and helping to contextualize like what's happening without mm. shaming, but also creating healthy boundaries for mm -hmm. the kids so that kids are protected from things they're mm -hmm. not ready for. Yeah. Because kids don't know how to give consent. Right. They don't. And I think that's where we start to cross over trauma lines is that when there's a lack of consent and there is 
ages where we start to actually be able to, and not just like ages or maybe I should say stages of development Mm -hmm. mentally, but also emotionally. And that's when we get into hairy situations with people who are quote unquote of age, but might not be emotionally in a stage of development because of trauma or other reasons that consent becomes impossible. Mm. And so what I love, what I'm hearing you say is that it's about nuance, drinking and being present to the moment of what's happening and without judgment or shame, still being able to protect and safeguard the health of the people involved, including yourself. And I mean, I wish that wasn't such a tall order. I think it's a tall it's a, order. It's a huge, huge. order. It's but a it, it's, huge but it order. it is necessary. I mean, what, how else do you do it? Well, there's a lot of shame bombs going off yeah. that could be really not contained. I'm, that's not the right word for it. Because I, I don't think shame's the enemy either. Mm-hmm. I honestly don't. I think shame is once again a portal for us to go, can I be curious about this? Because yeah. why do I have shame over, mm. you know, having red Stay. hair? Or why do I have shame over big breasts or little breasts? Why do mm. I have, why is that there? Because it's tr- it has something to teach me, I mm. believe. I think that's good, Becky. So when you were telling the story and you're talking about it was a pleasurable experience, I guess I'm curious about like touching between two small children. Like, is there, when you're talking about, there's something about how you're saying, like, curiosity. Mm-hmm. This is getting into, like, very literal, but, yeah. like, those crossing of lines. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, well, how do you navigate that? And, that's a good question. Like, well, are you kind of asking, like, you don't want to shame the person, but that's still not okay, right? right like, and how do you... Is that? Like, okay, yeah. so it's a pleasurable experience. And I guess that's, mm-hmm. a, I'm projecting my own, like, I'm filling in my own blanks. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking for, I guess, a little more clarity. In the story you're telling, like, was there a literal interaction that was happening between these two and for this parent to have a response mm-hmm. and how to handle that? Because that would be a really, like, I think mean, as the parent, like, yeah. oh. Yeah. And, and again, I'm thinking back to some, like, a story I'm holding for someone very dear to me that had this experience that was a pivotal moment. Mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. did include touching, but it, it was a pleasurable thing, but it, they didn't have language or context. Yeah. And I just don't think we talk about this. Like mm-hmm. curiosity as children and how does that work? And mm-hmm. I'm just projecting so much of my own fear and shame into that situation. That So I'm just curious mm-hmm. how you would talk through. Well, I think about the fact that I'm going to be so careful here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is, this is tough. Yeah. yeah, it is tough. Yeah. I've had an instance where two little boys were in my home and they were enjoying something pleasurable. And... I, okay, God help me. In those instances where little boys, and I'm thinking of little boys just because that story I told was about a boy, but the, where they're actually enjoying touching one another, the truth is they're playing for, in this instance, they were playing for, does yours do this? <laughs> does yours do this? You know, and there's, so there is yeah. a curiosity yeah. that goes with it. One of the things that I think is really important if you walk in like that, it's, here's a really good response. Oh, so what are you guys doing? (laughs) And asking with, beginning with a question. And part of it is the question doesn't make the statement and put the weight on it as much as, you guys shouldn't be doing this. Yeah, so you're not shooting all over them. You're not shooting all over them. Yeah. Yeah. You're just actually going, oh. What's going on here? And it gives you time as a parent, as an aunt, as an adult. As an adult. I mean, I appreciate that just to have a, an actual story to connect to, like that kind of curiosity still playing out versus now connecting that back to the story you're saying about someone playing out something they saw. 
mm-hmm. because yeah. I think that kind of distinction kind of helps go like, oh, okay, how does that work? Because I think in the story that I'm holding, I think it was more of the latter of like an older person playing out mm-hmm. something they saw. Oh, and that's so, totally but now, different. Right. But now I'm just putting those pieces together. Yeah. And But I personally didn't have language for that before. Yeah. So. And I'm talking kind of same age. That's where yeah. it's same age yeah. exploration is, is really, really common. Still, yeah. I'm talking about yeah. innocent curiosity. And part of that is why it's so important is because kids have an imagination. I want to go back to what, remember when you were on the playground and they said, don't look up that girl's skirt. Remember, mm. you have an imagination. And so... There's like this, why can't I, what's up that skirt? I want to know what's up that skirt that I can't look at. Yeah, it never would have dawned on me had you not told me don't do that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I would have assumed everything was the same. Can I ask a question? So we've talked a little bit about innocent curiosity. Mm -hmm. I'm curious what you would do or suggest or recommend when a parent does walk in and see like a violation of trust Mm -hmm. or boundaries being breached, whether that's an older kid or preteen, teen, adult interacting with somebody and consent is not possible. Right. What's the move there? <laughs> like, because like <laughs> it, my, my mother bareness, mm-hmm. even oh, without yeah. having my children mm-hmm. would be to like rip that person off that person mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. get in there. Like what's the mm-hmm. advice? Well, I'm, I want to say, yeah. let your mother bear, let your daddy bear come out, whatever. And you separate for the purpose of not protection. More trauma. It's yeah. Pr- yeah, that's immediately you step in. I remember one time seeing this on a street corner, watching a dad just really yelling at his daughter. And I mean, my mama bear thing came out and it, that wasn't sexual abuse, but it was verbal and physical and in that sense. And I was like, <gasps> I can't do this. And I reacted by coming over and saying, Hey, I wonder if there's anything, do you need some help here or something like that, which was totally inappropriate, you know, in some ways, but yet what it did is it defused it right there for that moment. And what I realized is that's not a long-term solution because that little girl has to go back into that home environment and probably even face more. Mm -hmm. So I think that there's an element of diffusing something for the moment that's really important, but I don't necessarily think that's the long-term solution. So immediately, if you ever came upon something that was abusive, yes, separate and protect the victim first, a hundred percent, which I honestly think both of them are victims in that, but you protect the In that scenario. In that scenario, you protect the innocent and the young. And you don't, and there's a lot of questions you have going on. And so partly the first thing that that, in that situation, I would call that a traumatic event, comfort is needed. And the first thing you can do is comfort. Oh, yeah. Can I just hold you? Oh, I know that that part of your body is such a beautiful part and renaming that part of your body is such a beautiful, it offers such pleasure and that we're going to talk more about this, but the reality is, is that part of your body is good. That's where I think that we can help interrupt some of those shame explosions and give language in the midst of this. So how do you connect this to where we started the conversation about naked and nude? Naked and nude. Okay. So part of what I think there's a natural element to exploring nakedness and vulnerability whenever you're talking about sexuality and it begins very early on because we're curious, Mm -hmm. we're engaging, we're discovering new things. And I think that that part of us is still there regardless of our journey and our story and how things have, it's gotten covered up. And so I think some of the work of curiosity in sexuality and spirituality is, can we not go back to, but can we reclaim and remember how to 
engage our curiosity, being naked with another human being? Can we engage our compassion for learning about the body? Can we engage our imagination and be okay with being in an exploratory versus just an act? And I think it's just a different, there's different ways that we can actually have the same physical act. We can either be nude or we can be naked. Naked takes work. It takes work of understanding what vulnerability is, how to engage with another human being on a vulnerable level. But I think too, I'm thinking back to what you said earlier about the body shame piece, you know, and that and how so much of that work is individual first, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think about my own. Because I'm trying to think back, like, as a kid to, like, when did that, like, get hidden and all those things. And I think so much about the church language of women being a temptress and all the things. And then as your body's developing and and you're becoming aware of having breasts and all these things. Like, at the story I shared about the Christian brother being grateful that I wore a sweatshirt. You know, like, just hiding those things and then coming back around to being comfortable with my body. And that's been a journey, too. Mm-hmm. And I shared also about going to the, what I call the naked lady spa, you know, like there's these moments of like just process along the way. And one of the most beautiful pieces of advice I got years ago was just sleeping naked. Mm -hmm. And it's such a simple thing, but there's something about like being in your own home and I say, and again, this is like single, I don't have kids running around like kind of situation. So there's a certain level of freedom with that, but just being in, like have the air touch all of your skin Mm -hmm. and not like get out of the shower, put something on quickly, you know, just like to be free and then to feel the sheets, like just this simple, it's free. It's all these things, you know, like it was such an easy thing and I enjoyed it for like for years. And then eventually I was like, I'm kind of getting uncomfortable. I want to wear pajamas again. Like it was not a big thing, but there was something in that season that was just really important. And I just think Mm. it's been a conversation I've had with some girlfriends recently too, that I, we don't think about how simple something like that can be to re-engage just with ourselves. It's yeah. interesting to me that how many times you use the word free mm-hmm. associated with that. Because when you think about it, like if that's not a practice for you and it probably isn't for a lot of people, like how much time do you actually spend in your life yeah. right. <laughs> with no clothes on, with yeah. nothing on? Yeah. Not, not your much. shower. Yeah. The shower. Really, that's really yeah. pretty it. It's like you said, I mean, you yeah. get out and you begin layering things on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> When I was um, on my latest plant medicine journey, and what? I, I know, <laughs> listen to the episode before if that feels hard and confusing for you. Um, I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> this song popped into my brain, and I like started giggling, and I was writing it in the moment. And it was the lyric was, "Remember when you were a kid, and you were so small, you probably couldn't talk at all, but you loved your body." And then the chorus was, um, your body loves you. Can you love your body? My body loves me. Love my body. Your body loves you. And it just was like going around in my mind. And I was like playing with my belly that, which I really love. (laughs) It gives me a lot of comfort and like grabbing my inner thighs and like grabbing all this like soft flesh. I'm also very muscular and strong, but like I will always have soft flesh and I used to despise it. And now I take like such comfort in it. And I'm just like singing this song over myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and it was just such a sweet moment to reconnect. And, you know, I was like 
in a sleeping bag, you know, under blankets and stuff. But I still practice that a lot. And I even did before that, that as I'm falling asleep, touching the parts of my body that used to bring me shame now bring me so much joy because I just touch them. I'm like, oh, you're my body and you feel soft and you're bringing me comfort. And it's really grounding for me. Or like I'll like kind of do that soft kind of feather dusting with your fingertips or nails on my arms, like for myself. Like I used to be like, I can't wait for somebody to do this for me. And then it occurred to me in my single years, like, or I could just do this for myself. And I think when we're talking about like, how do I be naked with someone? How can I bear my soul alongside my physical image? For me, being able to do that just with myself first really helped me find freedom and security to be ready to do that with somebody else who is also ready to do that with me. Mm -hmm. And this might be for a whole nother episode. It's like discovering somebody to do that with, you know, but that's been so lovely for me and something that I can do all the time. Like there's lots of like tapping is another way to engage your body. That's another modality you can do breathing deep. But for me, it's been just like caressing and loving with my own hands, the parts of my body I used to feel ashamed about that now I enjoy. You experienced nakedness mm-hmm. because you were vulnerable to who you were as With a human myself. being. Yeah. Yes. Okay, can we do a little experiment around the around Gosh. the horn? We're going to do it, I think, unless people say no, but <laughs> consent is okay, important. Okay, we're going to do it. Breathe, breathe no. Luke. Breathe, Luke. Latifa, you just said you love your belly. You love your inner thighs. You touch them. Mm. Let's go around the horn. And say one part of your body that you love. I'll go first, okay? Yeah. I love my back, my shoulders and back. Mm. Like sometimes I and I don't love my body right now. I, I'm working on it. I mean, whatever, whatever that means, I'm working on it. But sometimes I'll take a mirror and like, you know, so I can see my back. And I like the musculature of my shoulders. And mm. like how I kind of have a V that goes mm. down into my waist. And... um yeah, I like that part about my body. I like that. Yeah. yeah. I really like my legs. You have great legs. You do have great legs. True. I really like my legs. <laughs> I'm sorry that I have not looked at your legs to affirm that. <laughs> You've seen I'm right the now. only one to not be like, you have amazing legs. You do have lovely shoulders. Oh. So I imagine mm-hmm. that the back is very nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, pop the shirt off. Let's see. Him. Yeah. It, that's Alan's you know, job. Yeah, that's, yeah. that is Alan's job. Alan's um, first. But one of the things that I realized a long time ago is my legs were the only thing I never compared with anybody else. I don't know why. I'm not going to analyze it. But it was like they, my legs feel like this sacred tree trunk that they get to hold me mm. and they get to carry me. Yeah. And I just love my legs. That's beautiful. Yay. Ashley? That's such an interesting question because I was thinking like, I feel like I look at my body more in totality. So then to like, because mm. there's parts where I'm like, oh, I yeah, don't yeah. really like that part. But pre-pregnancy, I liked my stomach. It was just always an area. But I have to say like, <laughs> now it's actually my my breasts. Yeah. And it's just been really beautiful to watch and experience that change and like to come into a new season with that. And then to watch my expanding belly mm-hmm. and actually be like, okay, with it expanding mm-hmm. after. And I thought that's something that I would like have a hard time like letting go of given what I just said about like, I've always had like a smaller waist. I was thinking about this this morning 
how in the process of growing a little human, there's a freedom that I didn't think I would experience with my body of feeling so feminine mm. and feeling so comfortable in a way that I didn't, mm. I don't know, I just haven't anticipated. I will say like in the last week or so, it's starting to shift because things aren't feeling as comfortable and whatnot. Yeah. But like, I feel very connected to my body mm-hmm. in this and kind of celebratory right now. So I don't know that I would experience that in a different, without going through this, but it'll, third trimester might be a little bit different. But yeah. for right now, I'm going to take that. What about you? Well, <laughs> I mean, I could, I have a laundry list, but yeah. I, yeah. I would love Come to on, Luke. first. I will say when you started to pose the question before you got to the end, I was so hoping you would say, a part of your body that you're self-conscious about because I'm way more comfortable answering that. I was also Mm. hoping for that just to... Yeah, but that's the trick. I was not hoping for that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I wasn't hoping for any of it, but I I would have preferred Let me be clear. That's that's an easier place for me to go because I don't don't know how to answer the question. And the closest answer that I can offer and the most honest answer I can offer is to tell you something that I like about my body because I know my wife likes it about my body. Sure. Yeah, sure. My wife really loves my calf muscles. She thinks mm-hmm. I've got great calves. You and do. so I would have never known to say that, but for the affirmation that I have received. Luke, that, 100%. I noticed them yesterday. I did, were, awesome. I did too. I did too. We got on the boat. We're, we're, we're having awesome. drinks and you get these <laughs> cool uh, converse, you know, the, yes. you're wearing your Chuck Taylors and with low socks. And I'm like, wow. I mean, Dude, dude has some nice legs. And see, I love noticing that. Like, and I'm not trying to Mm -hmm. judge or it's not for me. It's just like, I really love noticing beauty in bodies, you know? And so anyway, that's so See, I don't think that I know how to do that, but from a place of either envy, if it's a man Mm. or shame, if it's a woman, Mm. right? I don't know that I have that capacity Mm. within me. Sure. So I believe you do. I think you're just on your journey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I really do. I am. Um, I'm going to pick one part. Um, <laughs> one parts. <laughs> one part. I like my fun parts. Um, again, it used to be an area that I thought was too big or too round or had stretch marks and cellulite, which it still has stretch marks and cellulite. But my friend showed me this one woman talking about how cellulite is just light shining through the skin. Mm, so that was kind of dope. I love that. And That's also awesome. like every body type has cellulite. So I don't know yeah. why. We're so up in arms about it. But I really have been loving my bottom. Again, like with mm-hmm. my own hands going from like the top of my back thigh to like the cheek, nice large curve of the mm-hmm. cheek and just like squeezing it and having fun with it and enjoying it and like just enjoying the skin. It's smooth there. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, do you, do you talk to it like you talk to your dog in that one dog voice? No, I just like... It's so funny, like the how I used to just be waiting for somebody else to appreciate and touch mm-hmm. it, and then realizing that I am totally empowered to yeah. enjoy myself in a sensuous way mm-hmm. and a, a beautiful admiration of my own form. And so, yeah, I feel really liking my bottom. Like it's cool mm-hmm. and it supports me and it has a lot of strength and power in it. And it used to be an area that was very locked up. Mm-hmm. from trauma too and so just appreciating some release of stress in my glute muscles like the psoas is all those muscles from your legs and your lower back all stacking on top of each other in this one area that used to be an area where I carried a lot of pain and feeling more free and it's also an area of my body that has communicated with me a lot about areas that I needed to pay attention to so I think that's one of the reasons I have gratitude for it you know 
My ass was speaking to me, man. (laughs) And I answered. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever thought about singing as a career? (laughs) I I noticed earlier. Would you you keep singing for us? Not a bad voice. It's a decent voice. I've sung at somebody's wedding and somebody's random aunt or uncle comes up and says, oh, you should think about doing this. <laughs> it's a long shot, but you you could. <laughs> have you ever thought about American, American Idol? Idol. <laughs> hey, dummy. Uh, are we? Can I? Oh, yeah. Let's go ahead and land the plane. Okay. No, with whatever you're about to say. No, no pressure. No pressure, Becky. Just for the sake of production, though, can yeah. you make it super poignant? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that for... Listeners, I think that one of the things that's really important is this is a process. I was thinking of your pregnancy story, and I used to have a really flat belly before I had kids. And one of the things that I ended up with stretch marks after my children were born. And with my first daughter, I had one major stretch mark that is on the on one side of my stomach. And then with my second daughter, I had three more stretch marks that showed up on the other side of the body. And I remember just really not liking that. Mm. You know, because I felt like I lost, I lost my belly. Mm-hmm. And then that was in the process of me regaining and loving my body. And one day I was in Colorado and we were in this, with the hot springs, you know. And so I take mm-hmm. the girls back in and we're in the shower. And, you know, when I'm showering with my girls, they're kind of right at that level. <laughs> and my younger daughter goes, Mommy, you have an owie. And I took her finger and I traced my growth mark or my stretch mark. And I said, Honey, that's proof that you were in my belly. And I grabbed my other daughter and I took her hand and I rubbed her finger down the other one and I said, this is proof that you were in my belly. You marked me. Children taught me more about what I was capable of loving and forgiving than I knew was possible. And part of it was, I don't know what the story was for them. I don't know if they even remember that. And I've never really kind of shared that before. But as we're going around the table, I went... In that moment, for me, it reframed the strength of my body because I could see these two beautiful girls outside of me. And I knew that forever my body is marked because of their journey. And I can't tell you how many times I touch my stretch marks. And I mean, now my girls live on other sides of the world, literally. And I'll touch those stretch marks and hold them and remind myself of their goodness and my goodness and my body's strength. But even when I miss them like crazy, they're still close. And I wonder sometimes if we just try to get back to something, we miss the opportunity to explore more of who we are and even what, quote-unquote, the damage to the body might be, it's just a beautiful scar that's reminding me of something that no one will ever be able to take away from me. But now it's reframed as something I treasure. I'm going to go call my mom real quick. <laughs> that's beautiful. It's amazing. You. Thank you for sharing that. I'm always going to be like, make sure it's poignant. because that. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> The plane was landed. That was like NASA space shuttle landing. Yeah. That wasn't just a normal plane.
This episode of Fun Parts was produced, edited, and mixed by me, Luke Bronner. Our artwork was designed by the very talented Alan Lusink. This episode contains music composed and produced by Latifa Alatas and the fine folks at Blue Dot Sessions. Check out our website at funpartspodcast.com and be sure to follow us on social media at funpartspodcast. Lastly, if you want access to bonus and behind-the-scenes content from this and other Milieu Media Group shows, join our neighborhood at the Patreon link in the show notes. And now, here's a scene from the next episode of Fun Parts. While a kid of a particular age may not be of age or of stage to give consent, the answer is not to simply say... What if they go have sex because of yeah. something you say? And it's like, no, well, but what if they are educated enough? What if they feel like they have a resource in their life where they can figure out yes. consent? Does that make any sense? Yes. Like mm-hmm. yes. where they can get to a place where they can offer consent? Because I, at 16, 17, 18, didn't have that. Mm-hmm.